You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. 1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, City of Champions. Detroit, City of Champions, the podcast. I'm Jamie Flanagan. Charles Avison. And uh, Charles wrote a trilogy of books and uh, just some uh, amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. And it, it was uh, just uh, astounded. We met and just uh, just a wonderful storyteller. And as a storyteller, he was out collecting the story and he ran into... Tom um, Yurick. Amazing storytellers. Tom's our buddy, yeah. And uh, one of those people, Tom Yurick. So uh, we've been talking. Tom has uh, done some amazing things, just uh, incredible stuff, and has met. Uh, he had the honor of meeting uh, some of the original champions uh, yeah, from was, 1935. Yeah, he was part of the 50th anniversary, uh, the Lions' 50th anniversary um, celebration for their first championship. And, uh, yeah, he's got all... He, like we started off, Jamie, you know, bringing Tom on for a couple shows, and yeah, then Tom's yeah. like becoming a regular around these parts. I, I'm like, telling you, like when we do the header for the show, it's like you know, part two to, with Tom Urich, and now we're like, I don't even know, like part four or five with Tom. Yeah, but yeah, we yeah. love him, man. We love yeah. Tom. Well, it's an honor to uh, what you fellows have done to make this go on forever for the families, for the history. It's, it's uh, well, yeah, we're excited up. that we get to help uh, record this and, and and save it, and, and, and Charles has it documented just extraordinarily well. Uh, in the trilogy of books, Detroit City of Champions. Uh, but we thought it would be fun to unpack it and dive into it and talk about it a little bit and try to try yeah. to bring in people that were interested and loved the story as much as Absolutely. as much as we do. And I love the idea that, you know, like kind of Tom, just to pick up what you just said, like, you know, this is, I just think I'm, I'm having fun just doing the show. But I think it's I think the cool thing is, is that I mean, it, it's like we're archiving this story. You know, for posterity, like the stuff that like the recordings we're putting out in the, you know, like it's, you know, it's not just like, you know, oh, we got the story. It's like we're, I mean, this is something that we're, I mean, we're putting this up on YouTube. We're putting this on this. I mean, five, ten years from now, who knows? You know, people could be looking at this and saying, you know, if any information they're looking for City of Champions, you know, here we are. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Like I said, in some of the earlier shows, when I grew up, uh, my dad told me about the City of Champions and I asked him who they were and he he could not tell me all of them, and mm-hmm. I don't. And I really personally believe that if, if you went to talk to the people in those days after the uh, depression to ask them who was the twenty-four world champions, I don't think they could tell you all twenty-four. That's a lot. Well, I'm saying well, thirty-three, well, Tom, because you got because because Abby, uh, you know, Abby Kushner gave you the list of the twenty-four, yes. and I've found even more since then. You know what I mean? That's how deep it goes. I'm saying I, I'm I actually have it in my third book. Literally, I have them numbered one through thirty-three. The championships from that season, and they're itemized with the evidence of their championships. So that's another nine. Then. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's thirty-three. It's like say like, and I always remember it because there's three you know major sports titles. Yeah, and then there's thirty-three. You know what I mean? Minor, you know, combined, oh. you know, with the minor sports championships. So well, it's it's a staggering story. As I'm saying, like this is, I mean, the the show we're doing, like. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of times, you know, people pick a niche subject to do, you know, mm-hmm. on, on YouTube, you know, for like a show or whatever. And, um, you know, this, I think, you know, one person says, oh, well, this is like a niche show. It talks about the 1935 season. But at the same time, this might be like a niche subject. But sure. at the same time, this is a monumentally important story, man. It's yeah. the greatest. I make a case in the second book, and I'm going to say it again right now. This is the greatest season 
in the history of American sport. Without a doubt. Well, I mean, there's how can you how can any city match up to a 33 championship season? And here I am, like I say, I put this case in the book, and until somebody comes along. It makes a better case for why one singular year in American sport history was better than this. Then my statement stands. Mm -hmm. Then my statement stands. This world is spinning, and I don't think any city in the history of this country or of the world. I'm just, yeah, because I've researched this. Yeah, and they said, "Well, we got three or four, and they said twenty-four, and I said, "Oh my, you know, right, it's, right. it's impossible." It's probably a record for the whole world. Yeah, and I'm going to build upon what you just said, Tom. I'm being conservative when I say that this is the greatest season in American sport history. And I'm going to build on what you just said because I've said this kind of before in my own you know, day and day passing is this, is that there, there's never been any story like Roman history, you know, Victorian history in the 1800s. You know, like the, there's been Olympic games that go all the way back to, you know, tell us or whatever. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like there's, and, and I, and I just love history. I live, you know, I live and breathe classical history. When I go home tonight, I'm listening to a Roman history podcast. That's what I do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> that's, that's my thought I do. But what I'm saying is, is in my studies thus far, I've not only seen, I've never, have, have I never seen a greater, you know, American sports, you know, American city that can touch this, but I've never seen, to build on your point, the, a, a, a city in the history of mankind. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is not just the greatest city season in American history. Oh, yeah. This is the greatest season ever. Well, little did I know that I would come in here this evening and you tell me there's another nine. Yeah, there you 33. go. 33. Yeah. Where yeah. does it end? Well, right. I'll tell you. Well, here's the thing. Just to throw one <laughs> little 33. bit. 33. No. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> is if, 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 put to, if my feet were to the fire, I could drudge up another couple. Right. Because there was a, there's a, they had a, there's a joke kind of article in the book, which uh, um, I'm not going to dig through at this moment but but um but anyways there be, when they started listing off all these championships like for this because they had a ce- we're going to get to it uh you know a celebration dinner called champions day for this and they're in um that one of the writers i think it was bob murphy was saying um when we announced this party and we started sending out the invitations to all like the tennis champions the the bowling championships your champions the you know every you know they started sending all the um the the invitations he got to the point where they started getting inundated by all these like sm- like even smaller like you know like like pigeon like it was like pigeon carrier champions and all these like oh, man. random like just <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. I have there's a bunch of lists maybe I'll try to find it for the well, champions they won but they were like they were like the super most obscure like the most like clothes hanging pins on a line or something like it was all these weird obscure stuff and they were trying to write and go I want an invitation to champions because I'm the all time champion for such and such you well, know well, Bill Joy that won the skeet shooting championship. A lot of people don't know that they named the Roy, Roy Absol- Joe, yeah. and he Joy owned the Roy, Packard. Yeah. He owned the Packard motor car. Yeah. Oh, you know? oh the, the, and that's what's interesting is is that, and that's why I really hope to, to you know that's why that's why this I think this show is so awesome because mm-hmm. as we get to these people like Henry B. Joy and these type of people, you're going to start to see the impact that these people had. Um, and Henry, you know, his case with Packard and all this, you know, that, that impact was due, you know, with, was outside the realm of sports. But there's many examples of these people that this, like, I'll just give you, you know, just a brief example is Stroll's Bowling. Yeah. Okay. Stroll's Bowling was the first beer sponsored bowling team, um, to win like the ABC championship and to put right. their name on the map. So oh. Stroll's Bowling team, when we get to that, after they won this in 1930, they, they won it in 34 and their mm-hmm. championship carried through 35. And when, once they won it, they became like like the fast they like the like just the like the most revered 
bowling team in the country. Huh. And so there was in the 1950s, Detroit became this like uh, bowling capital of the world. That's and correct. so Strolls Bowling was like the if you were on Strolls Bowling, you were elite. And so you went from Strolls Bowling to show how elite you were, and then you would go off by yourself, kind of like you're part of the Beatles, and then you go off and you know do your yeah. own. And that's kind of how it became. But I'm saying like Strolls Bowling helped to shape Detroit into one of the great bowling capitals of the world, and so did many other athletes from this time. Well, we were the boxing capital of the world. Joe too, Lewis time. started that whole and thing. Also, I got to yeah. throw in when, when I was a little boy in the in the late forties. My father took me down the Detroit River, and I saw Gar Wood drive down mm-hmm. in, in the river in his boat. That's gonna be a, that's a perfect example too. Another because, one. Well, just just in, in a nutshell with Gar Wood, and I can't. That Gar Wood's my favorite story of them all. He's my favorite story. Joe Lewis, is my favorite athlete, but but the Gar Wood is my favorite story. And man, we're gonna have fun when we get to that yep. show. Yeah. Yep. Um. The, but the uh, Gar Wood, just just to give a, in a nutshell, what we're talking about and to show the idea of how important this was before Gar Wood came along. Um, the, the way it used to work was there was an Amer- the Gold Cup was the American Speedboat Racing Championship, and the Harmsworth Trophy was the International Speedboat Racing Championship. And no matter what race you won, if you won the Gold Cup or if you won the Harmsworth, well, you defended that uh, trophy the following year on your home river. Oh. So the first early years of the 1900s and the 1910s, 1920s, as the speedboat you know, started to improve um, – like one year it would be in New York, you know. This yep. the Gold Cup would be in Chicago. The, the, the Harmsworth the Harmsworth would be in England, whatever. But Garwood became so dominant at right. both the Gold Cup and the Harmsworth that every single year all the races were on the Detroit River, wow. and, the, and it was year after year after year yep. after year for 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 almost two decades, for a decade uh-huh. and a half. And Detroit became synonymous with speedboat racing. And what in thus, you know, to this day we have the we have the Gold Cup races in Detroit in twenty. I think it was. I, I'm sure we have it now. I know that we had it up in 2018 yeah. to 2018, 2019. I heard. I'm not sure if they were. They. I don't think they moved it, but they, I think they were reducing it or something. But um, you know. But then we have like the the Red Bull Air races and stuff like this on the Detroit River. So Detroit became synonymous with speedball racing. Yep. And that's the question a lot of people ask. Don't ask like where did that come? It came from the fact that back in Gar Woods Day there would be up to six hundred thousand people lining on the riverfronts. Year after year after year, and eventually people just stopped challenging, stopped challenging him. In yeah. the Harmsworth Trophy, who's ever heard of that? The trophy became completely obsolete because there was he was so dominant, nobody ever challenged it for him again. Mm. You know, so that's what I'm saying. Like this, you know, that's that's the these are just examples in a nutshell of the impact of of these sports. Championships and these athletes on Detroit, the way it became, he just fell into the city of champions. Absolutely, Garwood was the the star of stars. He right. was the he was the he was the mega star at that time. He was big when I was growing uh, up. Oh, absolutely, wow. man, absolutely. So, I saw, like I say, I saw him go down. My dad took me down to see him go down. The oh, river. you saw him? Did you see his boat? Yeah, I saw the boat when he was racing. Real, oh, that's awesome. Wow. That's that was cool. one Did of you the ever six- see him? No. Oh, you didn't see him? No. But, but no. you saw the boat from the distance? Saw, the, saw, saw him on the river yeah. going around the rooster tail. Yeah, down yeah, yeah, yeah. His, yeah. That man. And th- those boats, I can't wait to get to Garwood. Yeah, his, those no boats way. are still around. He's actually got a few of those boats that are actually. Well, would be, it, that'd it, be a collector's show. Oh, geez. <laughs> Whenever they bring that, um, those Garwood boats out, man. Like, shh. If, you go out to, uh, if you go out to Algonac in the summers, yeah. you get a little. That's, that's Garwood. I mean, that's where the whole. You know, Harson's Island's out there. Yeah, and, but and that's, that's like the whole boat building industry yep, was yep, out in Algonac. Yep. And they, man, I tell you what. Chris Craft's made there. Yeah, and, and you go out to Algonac and, um, in this, on, a, on a nice su- summer day, you see wood speedboats cruising up and down that river. Yep. It is a beautiful sight. Yep. Yep. I mean, not just got our wood boats, but like right. you know, the, they the call Chris Craft wood, and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're beautiful. Yeah, but it is, it is a sight to behold. You're just hanging out on the r- riverfront in Algonac, and there is just – 
you know, wood speedboats from the 30s cruising yeah. up and down the river. That's the, there's no where else in America would you see something like that? I'm telling you, it's a, it's no. a sight. So anyway, where were we? I, I don't, man, just, we're just going with we're the just time. Getting we're, into it, man. <laughs> yeah, we're just telling. You know, we're just getting into it. But um, yeah. So uh, so yeah, we're still kind of like rolling with the introduction of Tom and getting into it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. um, you know, I guess it kind of uh, um sets up what we're you know the, the theme of the today's show, which is Jamie. Well, you, you were through that? the arsenal gates last time. We were uh, we've been talking about the Lions in the last several episodes, and then uh, you you did a, an amazing uh, piece of work where you you you've collect you had these wonderful interviews, and you were able to collect uh, some photos to go along with it. You did what two years worth of work? It it took. Me approximately two years to, to do that. You know, the, when I did the cassette tapes in '85, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the recordings of re- the interviews during right, the Golden but, Huddle, yes, yeah. of the Golden Huddle. Then a little shortly after that, I did Charlie Geringer. But I sat on that for a long time, and it was just in my box, you know, in the file box, the mm-hmm. cassette tapes. Then I got thinking, I wonder if I could put this into pictures like a DVD. Could that be possible? Right. And so. I kind of contacted some forms, and the cost was pretty prohibitive, sure. and I couldn't afford that. So then I got thinking, I won't give up. I'll go over to the Dearborn Historical Museum because I used to do a radio show called Collector's Corner, and I would use some of their materials for my future shows. Oh, nice. And so Mary McDonald was there. Matter of fact, she's one of the foremost. She's deceased now, but she was one of the foremost ladies of the world on teddy bears. Oh, if, you, if you had a teddy bear, she could tell you where it's made. It's a stiff bear. Really? Oh, yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. So I went to see her, and I told her what I had. She said, well, gosh, Tom, you know, that's Detroit. We're Dearborn. Uh, you know, we kind of keep in our own little society here. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, Mary, take a look at it. She said, I'll get back with you and they did, but the grace of God, they, she let me in, and we did the show, and I had uh, a half an hour show, and their program from the Dearborn Historical Museum is called the Arsenal Gates through the Arsenal Gates because mm-hmm. that was the old fort, yeah, 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 and they used that as their uh, as their uh, symbol, and so we did a half an hour show. She said you can get a half an hour show, and I had to take the tape from Geringer, and I had forty nine minutes, and I had to squeeze it down. Mm-hmm. So I went down to the Detroit Public Library, probably like Charles did, to get all that That's how I got in the books. That's yeah. how I got and I put, stuff. I would put my earphones on with my little recorder. Oh, I said, gosh, I got Chris in on here. And then I go out and get the Dearborn or the Detroit Times, the, the old Detroit Free Press, and the Detroit News from nineteen thirty five. Then I'd have to figure it out. What what is the best picture that would represent him to package this? Sure. Right. Then I had Cadell, and then I had. And I've got to say, I got to tell you, you're talking about 1985 that this happened, right? right. 80, is that when you put these together? 85. Oh, well, no, 86. Uh, it was after and, the event. And, and, and in 2006. Oh, that's how long. Okay, that's, okay. So I had the recordings in 85, and I went from uh, 11 years, and it just sat in the desk. But when so but the show that we showed last week with that history that was from 06. That was from 06. That was from okay, 09. okay. Yeah. So right. and then I went to to see Mary and they package it for me and then the rest is history. Yeah. But I I but it took me approximately 2 years before 6 to get this all of this in other words when I went to see her I showed her everything that I had. Yeah. That I that I put together with the tapes and the pictures. I got to say, because you know, we showed a, we showed a clip of it last week. Right. You know, some of those old newspaper photos that you took. I mean, they were to- they were like literally taken off of the microfilm. And I'm just saying, like, I, that's I've been there, and that's like I use a lot of that microfilm stuff for my books. And I got to say, it's like you know, 
taking microfilm and putting it like for a movie for a show like that it is it's not easy and so yeah. and, and your stuff looked great i thought it looked fantastic you know, well I, it, I really appreciate so, that so i, I you know, give you credit for it because i was doing it in i you know especially the second third books i was working in uh my mine was more like 2011 2012 yeah. and i was in there the, you know technology had somewhat improved so i was able to turn it digital and then once we turn it gi- digital i can clean it up and do all kinds of stuff so well, well as i remember when a, i did this they brought the actual newspaper out wow. and, and 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 i drove that poor librarian crazy i, I think it was the <laughs> so best did I day for my books man so did i <laughs> i thought it was the best day yeah. to you know to get go, go back to dearborn from detroit you know? oh, here comes that guy you know, i got to the point for, for the microfilm i used to do i would go every single day and i would spend man i'd probably spend 10, 20 bucks because you have to plunk in a quarter every time you want to oh, do yeah. a scan off the photo. And so I got to the point where the – um like like I was using up so many quarters and sometimes the quarter machine wasn't working that good because, you know, it's just the machine was really – was kind of old. And so anyways, the librarian guy, I was there every day, like literally every day for weeks, months, you know, a couple of years. Anyways, um, the guy, he just gave me the key for the box. So I just turned the key, like almost like a video game machine where you just turn the key. So he would just, I would just turn the key and I would print and I would, at the end of the day, I would just count how many sheets I have and pay him like 10, 20 bucks, like a $20 bill. Yeah. That's how, that that's how it got it. to the point was it was just like every day. Like saves everybody just, trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Father and son. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You were doing the same thing. Yeah. That's all. Did you they know, give you for your two? Like, is it? Just I, give me the key. I had to, like, I had to pay key, you. Yeah. They're not there for their health. And yeah. Oh yeah. So oh yeah. Expensive. I didn't have a problem paying. But you know for that it, yeah. I would say, well, you know, then I would put the Times article here with a picture of Christensen, and then I would go to the news and yeah. see if I could locate him, and then I would go to the free press and see him. It takes time. Oh, absolutely, know. man. And there's and like when you're looking through newspaper, especially a lot of times the screen is only so big, and the newspapers. I mean, the, when the microfilm beams up on the screen. You're only getting like a quarter of a page when you're looking at it, so you got to scan through a page like with some, it's almost like you have a magnifying glass over a page. And man, you got to go through every single day, and there's like thirty, forty pages a day. You know, you're just going, and then for numerous newspapers, so I get it. I've been there, man. It's like uh, you know, it's I. It, but when you're engaged with the subject, it's you know, it's awesome because you see. But the, the I think the hardest thing about the research part like yeah. that. Is you get so distracted. Mm-hmm. Like at one point, I think there was this one article that I mean, I just jumped the top of my head. They were like Michigan gold, <laughs> Michigan gold. They're like the hey. hidden sands. They're like the hidden, the hidden beach in Michigan where uh-huh. there's gold. And I'm like, I'm sitting there going, this is from 1935. Maybe there's, maybe there's still gold maybe there. There's you know, still I'm gold? like, I'm just going to print this one too. You know, like, it has nothing to do with <laughs> this. Is it down the rabbit hole? Click yeah, bait. it's like, it's almost like the YouTube where you go around a rabbit hole, but you're going, I'm going. Maybe there's still gold there. Yeah. Maybe nobody's seen this yeah. in like 80 years. Maybe I <laughs> maybe I've got a secret gold beach I'll in be Michigan. You know I'll what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's like that. You know, there's so many distracting stories you're going, mm. oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, I'm going to click on that. Well, are we back to this? You know? Are we playing football now or what are we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that for uh, the. Go ahead. I'll, oh, for I'll, the video, you mean? Yeah. Oh, well, th- I think this this show we want to finish up with that our, with your Arsenal Gates video because uh, last yeah. week we last week we we teed up the the, your, the section you had there with the uh, with a couple Lions interviews. Yes. And then this week we want to. I mean, we're actually kind of veering off a little bit, and um, and we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about Charlie Garinger because you did the he did a Tom did a Charlie well, the interview with Charlie Garinger was 1985, right? 86. Okay, 86. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm probably going to get hit, hit on the comment section, but I think it was 85 that his number was retired. 
by the Tigers. I think it was 85. It, 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 Him and Gr- Gr- Greenberg, I know, got retired their jerseys. Oh, uh, Jamie's going to hit us with that, that knowledge right now. <laughs> uh, Garinger and, um, Garinger and Hank Green, uh, Charlie Garinger and Hank Greenberg, I believe their jersey numbers were retired on the same day at the same ceremony. Um, they were called the G Men. That was 85. The, the G Men. Oh, were, yeah. They were called the G Men. With Goslin, and, exactly. And, with right. Goslin, and sure. Greenberg and, yep. and, and Garinger. Yep. They, uh, so yeah, I think yeah, I think it was I think it was 1985 when the two of them um had their they had their numbers retired on the same on the same day. Uh, in 1983. Yeah, okay, thanks, James. Jamie corrects. It was in the 80s. Yeah, I thought it was 85, <laughs> but 83 hits. That's that's, that's number two that's retired right. by the Tigers. In I'm rather have you call me out. I'd rather have you call me out on that, Jamie, than uh, some angry you know commenters on YouTube going you know for the rest of time they're going he got that year wrong. Or, yeah. so. Charlie uh-huh. Geringer told me how he got to the Tigers and his story was. Beyond, yeah, well, beyond hit us your, with it. Beyond your I know belief. the story, but go ahead and hit us with well, it. Well, you know, huh? the, the, the Tiger brass and all of the personnel of the big shots of the uh, the Tigers would go out to his farm in Fowerville, mm. and they would pheasant hunt. And every time— Oh, this is a great story. This is when, a great story, And every story, time yeah. That, yeah. that they would come out, Mr. Geringer would say, my son is a heck of a hitter, and he can really— be a great fielder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Tigers, list, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they Let's said. Let's go shoot you know. some grouse. Come so on. finally, <laughs> after about three or four years, because he was just a little guy at that sure. time, they, uh, the Tigers finally said, okay, hey, bring the kid down. The Tigers are on the road and bring the kid down. So Geringer told me that uh, Grand River at that time was, was a mud road from Fowlerville. Yeah. And they were going down on a Saturday. And some of the children come up to him and said, gee, that's where Ty Cobb played. I'd like to go with you. Could you take us to Detroit? So Geringer and the car didn't start, and they had to have a tractor to put the wagon up. And he had all these kids in the in the wagon. And they were all excited. Geringer said he took his own glove and his own bat. Uh-huh. To the, to, 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 at that time, it was Navin Field. And then all of a sudden, he's excited with the kids because some of them had never been to Detroit, period. You know, that was a big venture back in, in the 20s. Yeah. And so they got down there, and Geringer told me, he said, I'll never forget this. He said the tractor came down Grand River, and they got over towards Michigan Avenue, and he said, Charlie, that's where Ty Cobb plays Navenfield. And Charlie said, Tom, I was so nervous. My God, that's where the great ball player plays. So they pulled up the tracker in front of um, Navin Field and they went inside. And the people said, we got a brand new glove for you and a new bat. When We want you to dress up in a uniform. And, and Charlie said, I got my own bat and my own glove. And they said they worked him with a major league pitcher at that time. Not He was a... a uh, like a minor league major pitcher because yeah. that that day they, like the, 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 the Tigers were yeah. on the road at that time yeah. they, mm-hmm. you know so they had the best pitchers and he said he threw to me and threw to me and I went out and I fielded it and fielded it and did everything and finally the one guy comes up and he said well you've been doing this for three hours and he said here's what we want you to do we want you to run to first base second base third base don't go to home plate go to the dugout there's a man there that wants to see you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and Geringer did. It yeah, was yeah. it was Navin. Oh, he said you're immediately signed. You're going to Toronto. Oh, that's wow. awesome. Just like that, he was signed. They, they yeah. saw enough. They saw. Yeah, enough. yeah. That's so fantastic. That was a story that he told me, and uh, must have been a very joyful ride back home in that track. Yeah, and yeah. those children, uh, the kids were. Well, there's some him. component where there's what, some component the... of the story where Cobb Cobb saw him too because. 
I've read another version of the story. Like the background part, I have not heard. Like I mean, you've told me before, and I guess, and I didn't even use that part of my book. Um, but uh, but the, the 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 section that I had heard was that Cobb had saw him play at some point too. That and I Cobb know. and Cobb went, said like literally demanded like this kid's gonna play with this. You know, he's going to the you know he's signed him. Like you know, Cobb saw him, saw how talented he well, was. Well, there's a possi- and signed him. Well, Charles, there's a possibility that when the Tiger Brass went up to, to use Charlie Geringer's farm, family farm, deep in, up there, and I've been up there, Fowlerville, yeah. many times. Mm-hmm. His farm was way out there. And maybe Cobb was a hunter too. No, supposedly it was at yeah. the ballpark that Cobb saw him. Mm. At, a ball, at, a, at a ballpark. At, at, no, at Naven. It was okay. supposedly that Cobb at some point in that story, at some point in that story, Cobb saw him play and basically demanded that um, that that, that that's Garinger, a, that had been seen. That's a story Gehring yeah. never told me. Yeah, I, well, I never, I'm just saying there was a, there was some point where Cobb Cobb did see his talent and Cobb was on board with the idea of signing him too. Could have been there that so, day. So, anyways, that's what I'm saying. But the background, I could understand that. But there was another component too, which I heard. I think I I, I, I re- refresh my memory with my book or whatever, but. Um, there, that Bobby Veach was um, was involved too, was an outfielder for the Tigers. That he somehow, like I think he had something in. He may have been like a grouse hunter out there. Like, there was something that he had to do with Garinger too, like in Fowler. Like somehow he had seen him play out there or something, right. and he was he was involved with that, getting him to the, the Navin for that opportunity as well. Somehow that goes in that f- falls in the line with. Well, it. I don't know. Maybe he played. He probably played high school baseball if they had a team up there in Fowlerville. And, Garinger, you know, I, yeah. I don't know where he. Might no, have he had to have played. You know, he you didn't know. just come right off of the backyard throwing rocks against the wall and then go into <laughs> Navin Field and start roping homers. Well, he was, you know, he I was playing ball out in Nate in Fowlerville. He was, I think that he was pretty well known in Fowlerville at that time. In Veach and all them, I don't just, I don't, you know, I, I would agree with something about the grouse hunting in that pheasant well, hunting. Fez, you know, that would you know, probably hunting. one of the greats. Yeah, you know. but what I'm saying though is that I think that um, some, you know, like some tie in with Veach and you know Cobb or whatever would complete the entire story. You know I mean? Like there's elements that I can definitely see, but there's, you know, but there's, I've, I've actually seen interview, you know, another side of it, like I say with, with Garinger himself, where he actually said Cobb saw how good I was and was like, sign this kid, well, you know? So, but I'm just saying like, you know, I'm not disproving like what you're saying. I'm just saying like, there's, there's, I think you've added some new, like kind of insight with the tractor story and with the yeah, idea that they Grand came out. I love there. that tractor yeah. story. Yeah, it's no, cool. That's what, yeah. that's what Garinger And I can me. totally see the fact that the roads were muddy, you know, oh, muddy as you was, They get. weren't paved back then. Well, Exactly. Yeah, I mean, no, and, and it was a yeah. you know, and a, a tractor, and here it comes to Detroit. And Geringer said they kind of come out of the Navin Field. They kind of scratch their head. You know what's coming here? Yeah, <laughs> got a tractor and a wagon behind it, and a trailer, yeah. a bunch of kids in there. And yeah, who who is this guy? Yeah. Well, Geringer said he was the greatest. Or Cobb said he was the second greatest. Second base. Eddie Collins was Cobb's no, first no, favorite. Eddie, uh, no, no. Horns, Eddie, no, Honus Wagner's a shortstop. No, Hornsby of the St. Louis Cardinals. I thought I, somebody – I read that same thing about Garinger. Somebody said that Eddie Collins was their favorite. I, maybe it wasn't Cobb, but I, somebody said that Eddie Collins they, – they thought Eddie Collins was better than Garinger. But I, I did – I like Garinger's Well, Hornsby – you've got to remember, Hornsby won the back-to-back. Uh, oh, he was trip, elite. Trip, oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. He was uh, the second baseman too. Oh, yeah, I understand. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's uh, no, but just a little bit of a background with Garinger, just a, yeah. just a thing. Like I don't yeah. even have a notes in front of me or whatever. But Charlie Garinger, like just to like kind of tee up, because what we're about to bring out for this here is Tom's interview. Uh, it's a little short segment off of the through the Arsenal Gates segment right. with uh, you know with with Charlie Garinger. Um, we're at some point in a few episodes, we're actually going to play the you know well, more we're clips, gonna, yeah, more clips. It. But this is a this is like really you know Tom's favorite the, section from yeah. it, from this from the Arsenal yeah. Gates. But just to kind of tee up Garinger, 
So, you know, like, like I say, I don't have the facts. I don't have all the nitty gritty, you know, in 1937, he did this and 33. Mm. But what I'm saying is like Charlie Gehringer was one of the greatest baseball players, not just second baseman, but baseball players in the history of the game. Mm. Like, I don't even know where he ranks in the top 100, but he's definitely there somewhere. Well, you betcha um, he was. I mean, he's in the top. I would say, I think he would, I think that whatever list that you're going to find, especially for position hitters, he's in the top probably 30, well, 30 yeah. or 40 at least. I mean, it, at, the, at the worst. And the people really loved him. Uh, yeah. He, Henry Ford loved him because yeah. you know, he was a farm boy. And of course, Henry sure. Ford grew up on a farm sure. and, and they and, were inseparable. Again, and he's, again, he's a Michigan native. He went, grew up in Fowlerville. His nickname was was the Fowlerville Flash? That's right. Which at the same time was almost like a was almost like a like a um, kind of like calling a, a big guy tiny because yeah. Charlie Garringer was not flashy at all. He was the no. most quiet, um, very very quiet. Rarely said anything. Um, and they call and in fact his his one of the biggest nicknames he had was the Mechanical Man mm. because all, because what he like uh, I, I think it was uh, I forgot who said it but. He comes to he comes to comes to the season. He like you know comes every year. He bats over three hundred, hits like fifteen twenty homers, steals like forty or fifty bases. Like and then and then he plays amazing defense. Doesn't make like makes like one or two errors all year long. He's just mechanical every single year. Right. He's one of the best players in baseball every single year at you know offense and defense. Yep. So Tom, you you said that uh, they were he he and Henry Ford were friends. What do you know about that? Oh yeah, they were very close. Uh, it, it, he was his favorite baseball player. You uh, know, when 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 the depression came, mm-hmm. uh, Ford stayed in his uh, you know in Dearborn at sure. the mansion, fairly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, they claimed that when he died, he had a lot of the history of the uh, baseball and the thirty-five. And a lot of people don't know this. He tried to buy the St. Louis Browns. Oh, okay. And he was going. Uh, are you familiar with Dearborn? He was going to build the stadium in. The Ford Field area, right off of Michigan Avenue and Monroe, it goes down, mm-hmm. and he had all the parking in the back, and the Browns were for sale. Oh, but do you know approximately what year that is? Because I haven't yeah. heard that before. Well, that's that's true. Uh, he uh, he wanted to buy. Was the, it like early 1900s? No, the Brown in the Depression. Oh, okay, I got you. Because he Ford got so excited on the 35, the Tigers. I mean, it, it just mm-hmm. and they, you know, and the Ford family is, is sports oriented. Sure. You know? And he, the Browns were for sale. He had the property. He had the Ford Field. He was going to build a stadium. And, but there was a rule that you couldn't build another baseball team within a 50 mile oh, radius sure. of Detroit. Yeah, they so, had, yeah, right. So he, yeah. he was euchred out of that, of that rule. Then he wanted to go out because he owned land in Ann Arbor mm-hmm. to build the stadium for the Browns. And then he got thinking, eh, that's a little bit too far out. So it passed. Dearborn almost had a Ford field with the St. Louis Browns yeah. because oh. they were they were for sale. Well, just like just to carry on just a little bit with the with the Garinger concept is um, it, this is like I mean we, I could talk you could talk about literally Charlie Garinger and we will we're going to dedicate an <laughs> sure. entire episode to him. But I, like one of the things I want to make sure like the you know the you know anybody that's listening that maybe is you know a little bit unfamiliar with Garinger or, or you maybe is somewhat you know pretty good familiar with them and just to, but just to point something out that I think is really important. Is that we, you know, we talked about, um, on earlier episodes how going into 1934, you know, Mickey Cochran like came in, like Mickey Cochran arrived at the end of 1933 and, uh, in 34, like Mickey Cochran's like, we're going to the World Series and all this. Um, but, but like when that's like 
the Tigers, when Mickey Cochran arrived, we said before, like, the Tigers were either too young or too old. They had nobody. Like, nobody knew who Charlie, uh, Hank Greenberg was in 1933, it, or it, especially at the beginning of 1934. Greenberg was an unknown. He 33, he was just battling for a starting job. He didn't even win it till the end of the year. So 34 was Hank Greenberg's first full season in the majors. And so um, and so really, the only, pe- the only person on that Detroit Tiger team that the Tigers had that really was of any consequence as far as the rest of baseball was concerned was Charlie Gehringer. That's it. They had Charlie Gehringer at second base, who was an elite baseball player, and then and then you added Mickey Cochran and now Goose Goslin and stuff like this. And then Gehr- and then uh, you know Hank Greenberg comes out of nowhere in 1934. All of a sudden, you got some pretty you know this this squad that's yeah. really becoming yeah, something. Yeah, some good pitchers too. But my Boy point, Roy and- yeah, oh yeah, and they and those became household names in yeah. the 30s. But what I'm saying is, is at the time when the Tigers were just you know when like again 33, they were awful. Coming off that 33 season, Charlie Gehringer was like, I mean, he was, he was well known. He was elite of the elite. He was an, he was an elite base runner. He was an elite hitter, um, defender. I mean, just an all around great, you know, great baseball player. And I, there's a great quote that I, I don't even want to dig out of my second book, but, um, Eld Knocker, and there's a book, it's called, uh, Sleeper Cars and Flannel Uniforms. Mm. And anybody that wants to read just a fantastic piece of, um, just baseball nostalgia, a book that is just, it's just filled with all kinds of great stories is Eldon Ocker, who was a pitcher for the 34 and 35 Tigers, which we've, we've mentioned. Yeah. It's his, um, it's his autobiography. Like he wrote this book, you know, he's, he wrote this book. And, uh, anyways, uh, he mentions in there where he talks about, uh, Charlie Gehringer and he says, you know, it's like, it's almost like he's like people, the people in the modern day, like look back at the 1920s and 30s and they're like, you know, they look at second baseman like they're kind of weak flea hitter type things. He was he was like Charlie Gehringer. He was like he's like it's like they never. He's like they look back and say like these guys like sec- our second baseman our our infielders didn't have any power. And he's like what people don't understand about Charlie Gehringer is he had everything. He had power, speed. He had uh, just everything. He said defense. He said he had whatever you needed at that moment. If you needed a home run. He had it. Wow. If you needed a double, he had it. If you needed somebody to, you know, get on base, steal their way around, get themselves in a scoring position, and make it easier for somebody to just hit a bloop, you know, pop fly to score them, he had it. City of champions. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is, is that, that Gehringer, is. you know, by the time that, you know, by the time they, you know, they filled enough pieces around him, they had an elite. I mean, you're talking like, you know, and one of my favorite second basemen of all time is a guy named Tony Lazari from yeah. the Yankees who played right. at the exact same time as Charlie Gehringer. And, um, and anyways, and like, you know, people that really want to get into it will argue about Tony Lazari versus Charlie Gehringer is like the best second baseman of that era. And, you know, like, um, and I love, and this is me saying, I love Tony Lazari. And it's like, I can't, I almost hate to say this on air because like, if I ever get in debate with somebody, they're going to be like, (laughs) it's going to be like, I'm going to have a tough battle going against them. If they're arguing for Tony Lazari and I'm arguing for, uh, Charlie Gehringer, but I'm still going to go, I'm going to have to go with Gehringer. Like it's, I mean, he's just that good. He was that good. And Lazari won numerous world series with the Yankees. He was one of their best hitters. Well, so maybe, anyways, maybe the people can hear him. So anyways, so to tee that up, this is yes. the guy that we've got. I mean, Charlie Gehringer is an absolute legend and this and Tom interviewed him. I mean, yeah. I mean how many times can you tell like we like you dude, Tom met Tom, Charlie Gehringer. You know, well, yeah, like, and, and I had yeah. many and he would we would call one another and we would go to lunch and everything and uh I knew his personal. Yeah, attorney. check that. He didn't I, just interview Charlie Gehringer. He knew Charlie Gehringer and like, yeah. you know, we talk would talk with all him the time. And, yeah. and I knew his personal attorney, uh, who was Mickey Briggs. All right. Oh, yeah. And then used to play golf all the time. But Mickey Briggs told me more stories on Gehringer. And I wish he just died here recently. 
But he would tell me stories on Gary Inger he wouldn't believe. And uh, I want to say something too real quick is that, yeah. you know, just a second ago when we were talking about how Gary got signed, you know, I was putting the, the, the stuff that I was talking about, how Cobb saw him and this and that. That's the story that like basically is told in the Detroit sports world where Cobb, you know, met Gary or saw how good he was and Cobb rushed up to Navin and got him signed. And so I just want to put, I was just, I was really, I was saying that because I wanted to throw like the prevailing viewpoint mm-hmm. and Tom, you're telling us the story that, you know, Garinger told and, and, you. And so and like, po- possibly, you know what I mean? Like, well, possibly when Garinger ran around and they told him to run from third to the dugout, sure. there was many other people there. Now maybe Cobb was in that. Yeah. Group. Well, that's not, but I'm just telling you like, we and, know, and we, I want to just emphasize though, is that the story that I was telling is the sort of the version that's like, you know, the Detroit sports world, you know, the, you know, the right, remembering right. of that version. And so what you're getting from Tom is a story that firsthand that, that Garinger told him, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's about yeah. his first hand as, he, as that's you what I'm get. Saying. So, you know, everybody's got, you know, you can, people can weigh it out for themselves and suss it out right. based on the stuff that they hear and see. But, um, it's at the very least, it's like, you know, it's, I mean, really, that's, I mean, it's kind of groundbreaking stuff to hear, you know, from Charlie Garinger to, through you. So a whole, a whole nother amazing concept. audio we got yeah. lined up here. But if you're following us on, on Facebook or YouTube, uh, or if you're listening to the audio podcast, it's worth a jump over because the images that go along with this are the images that you took the time over those two years to dig up. Right. And so just uh, keeping that in mind, we talked about that as we started. So here we go. This is uh, the interview with uh, Charlie. Now, the owner of the Tigers uh, in 1935 was a Frank Navin, I believe. And uh, can you reflect a little bit on Frank Navin? Well, he was the first owner of the Tigers that I ever played for. He signed my first contract and uh, he lived through the series barely. And then uh, Mr. Briggs, of course, it was part owner. It took over from then on. He at least lasted through this great year. When you gentlemen won that 35 series, you came off of probably one of the hardest fought series, maybe in some historians say maybe in baseball history, and that was the 1934 uh, World Series. And uh, can you reflect a little bit on that 1934 World Series? Well, that was the year of the Deans. They beat us each. Each one won two games, and of course they were great pitchers. We had some chances, and I thought at one time... I thought we got a bad call at third base, which could have given us a win had the call not been made. And uh, I still have a picture showing that it wasn't quite good. But that's the way it goes, and we lost that game, which was a sixth and last. I have a very good friend of mine that is a great baseball um, player, and uh, he, he, he wanted me to ask you in this interview, who threw the ball that hit Dizzy Dean? Oh, Rogel a part of a double play and he ran for I don't know who but uh, it was pretty odd that you'd have a all-star pitching pitcher running for anybody but taking that chance of getting hit and uh, luckily it wasn't very serious also Mr. Geringer uh, I've got to ask you uh, you played with one of the greats you played with Ty Cobb and also you played against Ty Cobb and I've got to ask you being a, a second baseman uh, when you played against Ty Cobb, did he ever try to steal and did you have to tag him out? No, he was pretty well over the hill at that time. He was close to 40 years of age. And uh, whereas he, he was hitting fairly good, uh, he didn't uh, feel well. And uh, they should have had the designated hitter. Then he might have lasted longer. But I think he was all through stealing in those days. I don't remember him running against us. Okay, and I've also got to ask you, you also played uh, against Babe Ruth. And uh, can you give our reflections on Babe Ruth? 
Well, he had to be one of the greatest hitters of all times. He struck out a lot, but he sure did hit a lot of long balls. And one thing about him, he, whenever he hit a hard ball, uh, it was in the air. He, he didn't knock your feet out from under you like most left-handers do, like Gary gets some vicious shots through the infield. But Ruth's long shots were always in the air because he had an uppercut swing and was either out or a pop-up. I got to also ask you that uh, I believe in your career you had what a 324 batting average. I think I checked out 320. I think okay, 320. Uh, you were also elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1949. And can you tell our listening audience just where were you when you got the word on that? And just gosh, just just tell us about it. Well, it was kind of a good year and a bad year. I I went on my way to California to be married. So I asked the Hall of Fame people would they hold it back another year because I had made so many arrangements. And, and they said, well, we'll let you off the hook, but uh, we'll have to continue with the celebrations whether you're there or not. <laughs> you just lost a great, uh, Detroit just lost a great ball player, uh, the recent passing of uh, uh, Mr. Greenberg. Can you reflect on him? Well, he was a tremendous teammate, a great guy to play with, and... Uh, very productive and he certainly did a lot to get us where we were. He loved the game and uh, he loved playing with the guys and we had a great time with them. Now you came to the Tigers what, in 1924? 24, yes. And uh, now did you go right directly to the major leagues or did the Tigers have minors in those days and did you have to play in the minor leagues? Yes, I played two years with Canadian teams, one with a London uh, team and one with Toronto were both affiliated with Detroit at the time. All right, so there you go. So that was the interview that you uh, that shared so cool, through man. the Arsenal Gates. That is so cool. Yes, I did that at his home. Oh. And, and, and I'll tell you a story. When I yeah. went, I called him up, and Mrs. Geringer answered, and she said, yes, Charlie will be available uh, tomorrow. So I went to his house, and Charlie wasn't there. Mm. She said, you'll have to come back tomorrow. He got a little mixed up. He's playing golf. Ah. <laughs> so I went back the next day, and at that time, Charlie Geringer was 82 years old, mm -hmm. and he told me, and he was very proud. He said, Tom, I'm very sorry that I missed the interview at the house, but I shot my age again. 82, ah, nice. 82. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I just want to point out, though, real at, quick. At o I might add, that was at Oakland Hills at the yeah. Monster. Wow. 82, and he shot 82. <laughs> I'm not too far behind but it. I just want to point out something for not only this clip. But for um, but like when we play this entire video in a few weeks, we're gonna play the like we're not the entire thing. We're gonna pick out some other sections because the whole the full video, the full interview is twenty two minutes long. Right, right. And so we're gonna pick out a few other selections from it and play the thing. But I just want to point out how 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 freaking cool this is, man. That I mean, Charlie Gehringer is an absolute legend. He's a Detroit legend. He's a baseball legend. And like anybody that's listening to this right now, like like this is the first time that this video this that this audio has been heard in public. Okay. So, I mean, as I'm saying like this, yeah. I mean, this, this is like kind of like an important thing. I mean, there, like there's, um, there's a book, it's called, uh, the glory of their times. All right. By Lawrence Ritter. And like anybody that's a baseball fan that hasn't read, uh, you know, the glory of their times, you're missing out or <laughs> go get a copy right now. Cause it's a fan. It's a tremendous book. And it, it's like basically like accumulate like Lawrence Ritter, when he wrote the book, he tracked down all these, you know, ball players that were, aging ball players and you know interviewed them and took his favorite little stories and compiled this book with all these things 
Um, so look, like in Glory of Their Times is a legendary baseball book. And what I'm saying is, is that I mean, this is a, I mean, this is like a Lawrence Ritter style, um, you know, interview with a player that you know talking about his little, you know, with his stories and that. And, um, you know, and not only do you just, you like get to read about the interview with these players, but like literally you get to hear Charlie Geringer's voice, um, and talk about like his interaction with Ty Cobb, like playing against Ty Cobb. I mean, this, it's just, that's, that's information that it, I mean, that this is a feast for the ears of a baseball fan and anybody it's like, you know, we're going to be meta tagging this for sure because, um, you know, just baseball fans in general. Yes. I mean, my God, that's a, it, you know, to be able to say that we're talking, we just did a show inter, you know, introduced a, a, you know, an audio with a guy talking about playing against Ty Cobb. You know what I mean? So, um, it, it, it's historic. Yeah. And Tom, we're honored to have you here that you were, you captured these things, uh, and you, you're sharing them with us to share with everybody else. And, and we appreciate that. So one of the things we want to do is, uh, put the whole thing up in its entirety, um, uncut. Uh, and we'll use your images that you have in there and then we'll add to the other parts because this is, this was eight minutes of 22. Sure. So we'll lay in your pictures over that part and then we'll get the other pieces in there and we'll put it up in its entirety. Um, probably on YouTube. That why people we, can why find. Why don't we put it out after we do the 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 you know, we do yeah. the segments in oh, a yeah, couple yeah. shows? Let's let them let's let them hang for a oh, little for bit. Oh, for sure. Let's tease. Well, no, them. it's gonna take like us the, a little. It's gonna take me a little while. Exactly. To edit that I, me too. But I'm saying but like, it's coming. Let's tease them. It's coming. It's well, coming. If you're listening me, to this show right now, you got to listen to the next few shows to get the word about when it's coming. And, yeah. and there's a mystery to that show that you just had on. Oh. I don't know if Charlie Geringer went to the ceremony in Cooperstown. Oh, that's a good or not. question. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, to this day, I never did call Cooperstown to see if he was at the. Ceremony. I don't know if he yeah. had to cancel his wedding. It, it, they're just like human, you know. They're like <laughs> us. Well, Cobb, do, I, do I I go to California? Do I cancel that or do I go to Cooperstown? Well, the the initial the the inaugural Hall of Fame ceremony in thirty six uh, was nineteen thirty six with and Ty Cobb was inducted. He didn't show up because he was still mad at I forgot which guy, but he had a grudge against one of the guys or oh another. So he 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 uh, boycotted the first inaugural Hall of Fame ceremony. That's fantastic. Yeah, so there's a there's a group photo like Babe Ruth or I think I think Babe Ruth was in it, but I'm sure he was. But there's a whole like you know I think Christy Madison like there's a whole like group photo with like the greatest legends in baseball history. There's like no cop because he's, he's like well, he's I like, found it. He's like he's like I'm still mad at that. He guy. seemed like an argumentative so, dude. Oh, dude, cop. There's <laughs> And I, but here's the thing: is I saw recently on YouTube. This is like one of the coolest things about YouTube is the random stuff that they su- yeah. suggest you watch. And it know I think it knows me pretty well because it it, it, it yep. recommended this Ty Cobb video, which was it was a uh, uh, it was I forgot the name of it. It was a show. It was called like. Um, it was the, the show where the where the where the contestants. It was a game show, and the contestants had a had a, a blindfold on, and it was like guess guess who I am or something like this. And it was a big show in the fifties, I think it was. And yep. and uh, anyways, the they, they, the the what's the, my line? What's my is That's it? It's a, I think it is what's my line. Yeah, because yeah, because because the 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 contestants had to guess who yeah. the person was. Yeah, and the. The guest would wear a uh, exactly. I love doing what's my line. Yeah, so the I what's love... my line was Ty Cobb. Oh and my then, god! Yeah, okay. and so that's what I was like. I've never even heard. I, I can't even. I've never heard Cobb speak, or nor have I really seen him speak. And so, like I say, the YouTube suggested to me it was like, you know, here's t- you know, and then and Ty Cobb sitting there. You know, they they all failed. They couldn't guess who he was. <laughs> And so they, and yeah, so the end, and they finally go, you know, it's Ty Cobb. And they go, oh, my God. Like, they were all so, like, thrilled. They're like, oh, my God, let me shake your hand, Well, man. I just recently got back from Austin, Georgia, where Ty Cobb uh, was born and raised. Yeah. And, uh, boy, you talk about a remote area. It must 
I mentioned Ty Cobb and Charlie Geringer both on farms because that's where Geringer or Cobb was raised on a farm too. And where he played baseball in there, because I would search around Roston, Georgia, and talk to Wesley Fricks. I, yeah. I don't know where the, he must have played on cow pastures. Yeah. Well, there's, but the, but here's the thing is like, you know, this, that's one of the things that like, w- like made baseball. Okay. It, it was the, like, I read this book. It was about the folklore of baseball. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like the, how the folklore, like, like we look back and they, like, no matter what area you live in, you're always like the people before us were bigger, stronger, yeah. better, <laughs> tougher, loved our country more. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like it's all every generation says the same thing about the previous generation. But the further you get from that time, the more it becomes like a folklore, like it like becomes like this, like super nostalgia, like, you know, like, you know, like it's like a romanticize it. But one of the components of the folklore of this of the of the early 1900s, late 1800s and all the way through, like, you know, really the maybe the 40s and 50s was this idea that like a, you know, a local farm boy could grow to become an inspiration to millions. And then you, know? you got like, the story of the tractor rolling yeah. in there for his tryout exactly. on Thomas a tractor. Reinforces you know, it's it like, with that folklore story, like uh, he rolled it on a tractor. You know? first, yeah. car, the car wouldn't start. So yeah. And they want to see him. So he can't let the, if they, just think if he didn't go. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They might have said, you know, we'll forget it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there would have you never been. Chance. But the thing is, like we say, we, I, I, and here's the thing is, I, is there's a, you know, there's just, there's the concept of like the what ifs. What if Jaringer would have never ridden a tractor to get to the thing? But the thing about it, Tom is I don't subscribe to that logic. The logic I subscribe is to is like destiny, right? Mm-hmm. The fate and destiny, like something out there in that world. It, Charlie Garinger was getting to that thing, whether it was by tractor, whether it was by dog sled, whether it was by <laughs> walking his way there, yeah. he was going to be on the Tigers in that 34, 35. That was destiny, man. And he can thank his father because every time the Tiger Brass came out to hunt on his field out there in Fowlerville, he kept saying, my kid can hit. Sure, My, my sure. kid can run. My kid can There's field. some connection between somehow Bobby v, the Veach for the Tigers – yeah. Somehow connected with them somehow because there was because I from what there's components of the story that I've read that Veach had a big deal like that of like getting Garing or somehow saying like you guys got to take a look at this guy I think it was because he was um like a pheasant hunter in that area I well, think I think I read that somewhere well, where what, he was one of those guys uh, that, Navin that saw him. and Navin and all of them were hunters yeah and like yeah. Bill Joy too yeah. you know he he would go out they would hunt and they would go to and he. I went out to see where Geringer lived. It's remote in Fowlerville. Yeah. What it must have been in the 20s was unbelievable. I've got a picture yeah. of his farmhouse in my second yeah. book, the and, house and that he was loaded up with pheasants and yeah. the tigers. You know, that was a big thing in the day to, you know, put the feather in your hat and, sure, and all sure. of that. And every time he went out there, Mr. Geringer said, boy, my kid can, he's a ball player. But there was no somebody passion. that there was somebody that that out there that was that had to connect with the tigers, and he was the one that was like, "You guys got to, you know, like whether it's by tractor or what, push, pull, or drag, you got to get into Navy Field, <laughs> yeah. take a look at them." Somebody that had a little bit of pull because, yeah. um, but that, but I'm saying like one of the cool things is that folklore component, which is like a farm boy. You know what I mean? That it's like that's that's like the ultimate baseball story is that farm boy that's. You know all that you know uh, that's that, that's I out in that. some country you know field can you know come to Detroit and become like the you know Charlie Garing or well, whatever, so did Ty you know? Cobb he came from a oh farm absolutely too. yeah too far. I'm saying like it fits into that folklore story 
which is, you know, it's just, it's just, I mean, that's baseball. That is, that's like one of the, you know, the, the components of baseball that continues to fascinate people. We have pages and pages and pages of stories to share. Man, it's not been an hour yet. It has. No, it hasn't. It has. It really Tom, make sure what time is it, man. It is. It's time to. I still got another 15, 20 minutes of Jamie. <laughs> no. Come on, man. Right, we got it. We got it. Well, we're going to save it for the, save it for oh, the next man, show, Shaggy. Right. Damn. <laughs> But we got more to come. Uh, there's more excerpts from these uh, from these tapes. I mean, you had to, you had to edit it way down for that half hour through the Arsenal Gate, That's right. uh, and you talked about a lot about the history and other things on that show as well. Uh, we're gonna maybe we'll possibly uh, you know archive that for you as well. So we got that saved. Uh, digitally as well. Well, that's a big so thing because when up. I brought them to you, Jamie, I brought them in as a cassette tape. Yeah. yeah so yeah. the cassette tape, like, I didn't even, like, I had a, I had to buy, I had a, an old cassette player from years ago that I had, like, be able to put this thing on there. So now we have it digital. And <laughs> now it. it's like, now it's like a, a format that we can actually put on our show and put it out there and get it out there so we can, you well, know, I, preserve I, it for I, our I, posterity. I'm just honored sake. That, uh, that you're putting this together. And I said it many, many times. And what you're doing. To preserve this, what well, we're doing, Tom. You're part of it too, man. You're well, yeah. like we once you get past like two or three episodes where you're on here like every day, man. You're, <laughs> you're going to join our party, dude. Yeah. So. I'm not a champion, but uh, I feel that you know. Uh, I was so honored that when I was at the uh, reunion at the uh, city of Ch- uh, the Golden Huddle, they made me an honorary Portsmouth player. That's ah. awesome. And they, and they said you're also part of the 1935 and Charles, you've got me in the book. So I, I did with, a whole story on Tom. Uh, yeah, and, I did a whole in story the book on of the people that I love and I heard the stories. Yeah. I spelled I, your I, name wrong, but I know. I stood. But here's the thing. But I just want to say this is that I may have spelled Tom's name wrong in the book, right? And I fully admit that I did. Oh my God. But I also came out with a magazine a couple years, like a, like a, basically a year after the third book. I did like a, like a sort of a short lived magazine called Detroit Sports Consumer. And here's the thing. I spelled my own name wrong. Ah, okay. So just let me, let me just say, so father, Tom, father, yeah, son. yeah, yeah. There it is. So I just want to say this, like it was, you know, I spelled it, it but here's the thing. I don't want to blame myself entirely because the, you know, the typesetter that we, when we put this magazine together, he actually would reset, you know, put it in the magazine together. Like he, re- you know, he did the yeah. graphic design, and he he spelled my name wrong. Uh, but my, but here's the thing: I'm the editor. I'm the one that when it. I push the print button on the magazine, I'm responsible for the content that's that it. goes out. And so I didn't catch like how often do you look to make sure your own name is spelled right. I didn't do that. I, that was, oh, the one, that was like the one. I do a high school yearbook. Don't so, tell me about names wrong. Yeah. But I'm saying like it's the last thing you check that is wrong. You know, like it's like so like you go, like, yeah, like, my own name is spelled wrong. In close the cl- close yeah. enough. You got it pretty, pretty well. well you like, you get the idea. But, I, but I'm so honored to be in that book with all of these great champions. And I feel like I part of them because, you know, when these guys would call and I had contact – after the 1935 of the Lions, till they die. Yeah. Mm. Well, you I'll know, say so. I'll say this, and I'll, I'll, people can kind of end it with this. I think um, is this idea, and I've said this before. I've said it in the shows before. But there's be, because the, this the city of champions story is incredibly unique for the many reasons we've described. Many reasons, um, but especially the idea that this incredible story has been forgotten. Mm-hmm. I mean, largely forgotten. It doesn't exist except for a handful of places. The books here, the you know, the, the, I mean, the, the, you know, a couple things that we put on the internet. Um, the people, other people are starting to pick up on it. Like I've actually seen a couple people writing books on this subject since I came out with mine. Right. Um, you know, there's so it's starting. So there's, but that's what's interesting is there's the event of 1935. There's all the stuff that happens in 35. But then there's the modern day effort to mm-hmm. bring this story back, right. right? And that's what I'm saying. So like. 
There, it's almost like there's two stories. The going city needs on. it. Yeah, there's like there's two kind of there's like it's like a it's you know what I mean like there's two different stories going on about you know the after the other what happened in '35 and then how this story is going to come back like why it was forgotten how it's going to come back and then the effort to do so and the eventual story of how we do it because we will bring the story back. Well, this is a legacy for Detroit. And what you have done, and what little part I've done, which isn't that much. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's it, you hear a few of the voices, but then you can go to the yeah. book and it's preserved. But for, I'm saying uh, everybody, just like I say, for, to finish it up with for, this, is this idea that everyone that shares this video, that talks about the story, that tells other people about it, how whatever anybody does, everyone is part of this of the effort to bring this thing back. And it's like, how do you bring back a forgotten story? I don't know. Well, I don't know, we'll share but you it. know share what? As as we can. That's what I'm saying. Talking about it, telling the story, spreading the word, and talking about that is how you bring. That's the, that's that's the only way I can think Charlie, of to do it. Your books will last forever. And I, now that you digitalize this film, you yeah. Know, when we it, get a movie out and all this stuff, I think it's well, going to really take you know, off. But you know, I'm just saying, like, there's no formula that there's yeah. that says like, how do you bring back a forgotten story? I mean, yeah, put it out to a movie, do all these things. But like I say, we're making it up as we go. And that's anybody it. that shares the video helps us out with this. Tells their friend. People, um, yeah, so exactly. like, subscribe, leave a comment, tell your friends about it. Exactly. Share the link out. And, yeah, share uh, the link is key. Kathy is another, uh, Kathy said hi. Uh, hey, podcast. Hey, She's another Podcast Detroit host. Hey, she Kathy, said, how you doing? Thanks she for said, hey. Yeah. So we appreciate show. that. So right everybody down. listening, like, subscribe, leave a comment. It's Detroit City of Champions, the podcast, and we're going to see you next time.